Right, one last chance. Here we go. D. A. O. D. Oh, nothing to it. Oh, hello everyone. Sorry, no time for a full introduction today as the randomizer has already made today's selection and it is D-A-O-D, aka Danger at Ocean Deep. Here's Thunderbirds. So, welcome back to the randomizer. It's Thunderbirds. And uh, I was just thinking there, oh, there's this uh, wonderful shot of the Ocean Pioneer. Ocean Pioneer 1 sets off uh, across the... The uh, AP Films water tank to that wonderful big gun theme from Stingray. I was just thinking uh, with the opening titles, the this episode sequence, how I love with uh, episodes like this where in the first batch of clips you see, here is a thing, next shot, here is another thing, next shot, here is the two things interacting, next shot, total chaos. And I just love that. There's a shot of the boat, there's a shot of the cloud, there's a shot of the boat going into the cloud and then just debris. Lovely stuff. Uh, there's quite a few Thunderbirds episodes that open like that. Also, I love, I mean, particularly love this. Just glory shots of technology in Thunderbirds just cruising along with bombastic music. It's beautiful. Yes, sir, Commander. Six more like Ocean Pioneer. And we'll have the yeah, I particularly love that, although the bridge just says Ocean Pioneer and the crew refer to it as Ocean Pioneer, the model says Ocean Pioneer 1. Ocean Pioneer in the service as soon as possible. Someone was hedging their bets there that this, uh, this might not go too well. 20,000 tons of seaworthy steel certainly makes the balance sheet look good. Yes, uh, again, more, more wonderful, uh... Stiff upper lip, blighty chaps. Manuel Collins, I'll trim it. That's uh, Ray Barrett, uh, David Graham as the Collins, and uh, yeah, John Tate as the, uh, I don't know, was that an investor guy? And of course, this is the first Thunderbirds episode I am recording since the sad loss of Matt Zimmerman. Um, and in order to prove this is completely random, I don't remember this being an episode that he's particularly involved with. Um... For once, as we'll get into later, this is a... Uh, where the boys don't usually slip up on that sort of thing. At points, this is uh, quite a John-heavy episode. Zero... Anyway, Ocean Pioneer the First is heading into uh, an area of mist. Still rising, Captain. Mysterious areas of mist are uh, always to be avoided in Anderson shows. Mysterious clouds and such like. Also, uh, time portals to the past that continue into a caveman, of course. And it's a very nice shift from um, that, that, as I said, that big bombastic, here we go, here's a gorgeous ship, wonderful technology. And now we're sort of, what's going on? This is all nice and mysterious. And uh, I don't think we get any more dialogue from any of these crew after this, just the... The ship disappearing into the mist, and then the lone foghorn. And then the final fateful noise. There it goes. Yep. I love that you, you lose the ship, and then suddenly you're back with it in the centre of the cloud, as it just totally goes up in flames. And this is quite shocking, actually, as an intro for a Thunderbirds episode, because obviously, you know, Thunderbirds, it's international rescue. We're used to seeing people saved, but actually, no, those people we just saw, they are dead. They are very much dead. And there's the wreckage of the Ocean Pioneer 1, with our title, Danger at Ocean Deep. 
I'm not entirely sure that's a title that makes sense. Someone might have to uh, correct me on that. But anyway, here's the launch of Ocean Pioneer 2, because we're not going to let the total destruction of Ocean Pioneer 1 get in the way of anything. Mr. Chairman, I can say the men certainly appreciate your doing us the honour today. And Lady Penelope is here to launch the ship. If you will just step this way, dear lady. Yes, that's... Uh... It's the, it's the Lord Sultan puppet from Vault of Death with the same voice, but it is a different character. Thoroughly excellent vintage, Parker. Excellent, I say. Yes, Parker is getting sloshed in the back of Fab One with Stevens, who is, uh, I guess, his lordship's chauffeur. I don't know who, who this guy's chauffeuring, but... Yeah, Parker's switched out the bottle. I love that puppetry on the, the glass clinking. Yeah, lots of familiar faces up on the uh, the launching platform with Penelope, including Lord Silton. I think I recognise... Um, well, there's Chip from Security Hazard, and his father is manning the camera. There's... Um, oh, did I say Lord Silton? I meant... Oh, the guy from Perils of Penelope. Sir Jeremy Udge. That's the Peter Dinley guy. But Lord Silton is up there. And perhaps most uh, surprising, dare I say alarming of all, is uh, one of the guys who was on Ocean Pioneer 1. So either he survived, which I think is very unlikely, or he's got a, an identical twin brother who... Uh, <laughs> came to make sure that this launching went off without a hitch. Lord Roden, okay. Incredible, isn't it? How they yeah, it's the same, it's the exact same puppet in the exact same uniform, wearing the exact same glasses. Oops! Oh, my bonnet! Hurrah! <laughs> Several uh, stereotypes of the British Isles all coming together there. The crowd goes wild. Yet for all the excitement of the day, there must be many whose thoughts turn to the ill-fated Ocean Pioneer 1. Like this man over here, uh, who was on that ship, yeah. apparently. All it's got. Look, there's this Penny. This has been your first major launch. It must have been a great thrill. I, I really like the look of this news reporter. I kind of get the feeling that um, the puppet is modelled on someone specific. Because I don't remember seeing him before or since. Yes. Thank you, Lady Penelope. There's a definite look of a, a, a deliberate caricature on that face. Right. All we've got to do now is to wait for Penelope to report in. Mm. I wonder if she's found anything interesting. Yes, well, define interesting. There's Parker asleep in the, uh, the back of Fab 1. Stevens has cleared off, but Parker has been left with a bottle of bubbly. And it's nice to see that... Um, you know, considering this is a Thunderbirds episode, it's it's longer than the average Super Mario Nation fair, and there is sometimes a fair amount of padding. It's nice to see that there have been story developments happening off-screen before we join uh, the, the International Rescue Gang. They are already sort of on the case, as it were. 1998. It seemed a pity to waste it. And I gather from various sources that 1998 was not a good year for Champagne. I mean... Sweet. Is that the same year that um, Penelope said was the best year for champagne in Alias Mr. Hackenbacker? Vintage 1993. The best year for champagne. Oh, well. It was pure... I'm not going to criticise her ladyship's uh, knowledge of the booze. To relay to Jeff. Ah, there's Penny now. Go ahead, Penny. Virgil seems to be uh, doing maintenance on a radio there. Entirely successful. Yes, we saw the whole thing on television, Penny. Did anybody suspect anything? Well, I don't think so. 
I love that she's reporting from the front seat of Fab One. We just have to assume that Parker is uh, unconscious in the back by now. But he's uh, he's he's kept quite off camera there. Well, I'm glad to have your assurance, Penelope. Thanks for investigating it for me. You're most welcome, Jeff. Huh. You know, despite what Penelope says, I'm still worried about that craft. But, Father, I don't get you. What's there to worry you, Father? Doesn't make sense. Just because the first one mysteriously exploded without explanation and with the loss of all hands except that one guy, what's to worry about? I mean, if it happened once, it can happen again. That's it exactly, Alan. Yeah, Alan's on the ball. Feeling we're going to hear more about that ship once she's left on her maiden voyage. Well, there's no use brooding over it. If anything's going to go wrong, our worrying over it won't prevent it. Tintin's got some interesting... I don't know, I'm not a lady who, and I don't put things in my hair, mainly because I don't have much. But, um, what... What, what is she wearing in, in her hair there? It looks like almost like she's got sort of eye stalks, but they're just sort of um, pearls. Just hit the island, father, and struck the hospital full force. Oh. The foundations are crumbling, and the patients are in extreme danger. Right, How many John. of them? Brief Scott when he's airborne. This has got to be quick. FAB. <laughs> I do like that as well. Yeah, we've got to get this one over with quick. Uh, there's still that boat that might explode. On your way. Yes, sir. I didn't talk over it because it's uh, it's useful for me to just cut out the the launch sequences completely in this. But that was a nice reuse of the Thunderbirds theme from the very first episode. There, I, I forgot that they they reused that later on. Um, it's a nice variation, but it's not got quite the same kick as as the real thing, has it? But um, yeah, if someone had had asked me, you know, just off the top of my head, had that returned in a later episode, I probably would have said no. I completely forgot about that. Thunderbird 1 to International Rescue Headquarters, heading across the Pacific on course 324 by 007. Okay, Scott. Any more information? A tidal wave has undermined the footings of the main hospital on the island. John is still getting details. This all sounds like a rather thrilling uh, international rescue operation. And rather interestingly, it's all going to happen off screen. On your way with pod 3. Okay, Father. And what's in pod three that you might need? You're due in the space satellite at 1500. That leaves you out. Yes, Father. <laughs> Gordon? Yes, sir? You'll double crew with Virgil on your way. Yes, sir. Oh, Gordon's so keen. And Alan is so cross, because he wanted to go and save the people in the hospital. Father. Go ahead, Scott. I'll be landing at the so. Oh, and here we go. This is a, an interesting build-up to... Uh, well, it's eventually going to lead us back into the story of the Ocean Pioneer. What do you reckon's causing the interference, Father? Communication problems between uh, Tracy Island and Thunderbirds 1 and 2. Virgil's lost contact, too. This could be very serious. Mm. Ah, Brains, what do you make of this? I'm not touching it with a barge pole, Mr. Tracy. Satellite is now out of contact too, Mr. Tracy. How's he? Know? I think it only affects transmissions via the satellite. Yes, but it cleared itself then, didn't it? Uh, yes, Mr. Tracy. And I don't know what that line is in reference to. What cleared itself and when? I don't know what that is. It's a nice idea, but I don't think they quite explain, you know, set it up as well as they might. now. I guess so, Father. It's kind of a detour, and it's clever that it, it comes back into play later on in the story. Uh, yes, Mr. Tracy. All right, then, I want you to go with Alan. We've got a complete communications blackout on our hands, and that leaves us vulnerable. International rescue could fall down on the job for the very first time. And I'm worried about that ship. All set, Father. Ready, Mr. Tracy. Right. On your way, boys. 
So, as I was mentioning earlier about padding, this is, uh, we've had Thunderbirds 1, 2, and 3 launched in very quick succession. Um, we didn't have to sit through the uh, pod selection part of it for Thunderbird 2, but I'm sure that must be some kind of record for uh, getting getting all three launched um, so close together in the same story. Interestingly there as well, they shot new footage of um, Alan and Brains on the little couch bit heading into Thunderbird 3 hangar and also arriving on the ship. Uh, sometimes they, they'll they have Alan turn up wearing the wrong clothes because he'll then cut to footage from Sun Probe and it won't match. But um, yeah, there, that was uh, that was nice. So now we're up on Thunderbird 5, listening to the uh, static. Well, Brains, there's your recording of the interference. But it seems a mighty long way to come just to pick up a reel of tape. Uh, not at all, Alan. For analytical purposes, a recording made outside the Earth's atmosphere is much cleaner. Okay, Brains, let's move. The sooner I get you back to the base, the sooner you'll be able to work out an answer. See you Did you hear that? I'm going back to the base. Don't forget, you owe me six hours. Yeah, <laughs> see ya. Oh, I love that Brains is carrying a wrench in his top pocket. He's got a little wrench. That's nice. So anyway, John is heading back to Earth. Good old John. It is kind of ironic, actually, that, yeah, the first episode, the first Thunderbirds episode I've recorded on the randomizer since Matt's left us, and Thunderbird 3 is involved, as is Thunderbird 5, but Alan is uh, taking a, a back seat this week because John is, is, uh, is on his way back to Earth. For the first time, probably in many months, being John and the lonely life he leads. No news yet, Mr. Tracy? No, Kirano, not a whisper. Oh, Tintin's put some sunglasses on for some reason. I'm not sure what she's doing. Depend on communication in this rescue business. No, no, you two. You mustn't encourage one another. There's probably nothing to worry about. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? Kirano, we don't know anything. With all this interference in the air, long-distance transmissions are out. As far as I know... Scott's still talking on the screen. <laughs> He, he clearly hasn't got the message that, uh, well, there is no message to get at this point. Better go and start organising lunch. Oh, isn't Grandma on that already? Yes, Tim Tim, I guess so. That's one whole apple pie each. The mail plane, I expect. No, Kirano, that's Thunderbird 1. Mail plane? Wow. Next to place. It looks as if Scott will be joining us after all. And I love that um, this rescue that's happened off screen. Point using the radio with this. I love that everyone is thoroughly filthy and thoroughly dirty. I like the impression it gives that this has been a really physically grueling rescue that they've had to do. No sort of runaway machines or anything that might fill up a whole episode as such. But you know, this this feels like a more genuine rescue almost that there is a natural disaster and they've had to go in and just deal deal with it themselves no vehicles no well presumably not much in the way of uh, of tech uh, i like that idea and i don't think it's it gets explored often enough just sending the guys in to do a bit of manual labor on a rescue to shore up all the walls with hydrostats but not before the isolation ward collapsed boy that was close any casualties? Oh, no, Father. There were no cases in the ward at the time. Oh. Virgil and Gordon, are they all right? Sure, Tintin. And even muddier than me. They should be back soon. We found we could contact each other when we were close, despite the interference, Father. Well, at least that's something, Scott. You'd better go and get cleaned up now, then. Sure thing, Dad. 
By the way, Mr. Tracy, the intertelecast on Ocean Pioneer 2 is almost due. Thank goodness we don't have to contend with interference from outside transmissions. Yeah, this is all sounding a bit inconsistent regarding what transmissions they can get and what they're not getting. They're getting the TV, but they're not getting Thunderbirds 1 and 2. Okay, that's kind of hinted at the fact that Thunderbirds 1 and 2 are in the area of interference, but then they also can't contact Thunderbird 5. I don't, I don't quite get how normal TV transmissions work in this instance. But hey-ho, we have another first, I believe, is this the first episode we see Thunderbird 2 land in? Oh gosh, Virgil looks utterly filthy, but also, I mean, Gordon looks filthy too, but Virgil's hair is just out of control. But I do, I love that they went to, um, I, I presume it must have been shot for this episode, this um, footage of Thunderbird 2 landing. It looks very nice. Now it's for Thunderbird 3 to get back. And the whole team is together again. Yes, and let's hope Brains clears up the mystery of this interference. Tintin sounds happy, considering that um, she's gone from having to cook lunch for four people to having to cook lunch for nine people. Yes, doubled her workload there, but anyway, she doesn't mind. And we're now in the lab. Uh, can I hear the tape once more, Tintin? Coming up, Brains. And Tintin's decided to take those things out of her hair, which is good, because they were starting to irritate me a bit. She's gone from... This is still the point in the series where she's... You know, she can dress up pretty, but she is also a scientist. And she is in scientist mode now. Listen. Probably for one of the last times in the series, before she became just obsessed with fashions and shopping and real minty DJs. Mediterranean, just three men, one ship, and 200,000 tons of nature's latest aid to mankind, liquid alsterine. What could possibly go wrong? Oh, I've jinxed it. Yes, liquid Alsterine. I think that was the first mention of uh, the ship's cargo there. Um, and for some reason, this warrants just extensive TV coverage. Live coverage of a ship. A crook just, just traversing the ocean. And uh, Jeff is watching it with his back to the screen for some reason. Switch to auto, number two. Auto it is, sir. That's John Tate, is now the captain of this ship. This is Ocean Pioneer 2. Are you receiving me? And there's Matt Zimmerman as the uh, second officer, presumably. Well, number two, we'll be home and dry in next to no time at all. Hmm. It's all going swimmingly. I also like, in the shot of the bridge there, you can see the uh, air con, the filter thingies flapping as the, the air is circulated through. And again, that's going to become a, a plot point later on. This is a nice-looking ship, the Ocean Pioneer. It really is. I think it might be the fact that it's just very, very long suggesting that there is an awful lot of this uh, this latest aid to mankind, liquid alsterine, of which we... Uh, see you in the laboratory right away, Mr. Tracy. ...don't yet know what it is. We've traced the interference, Mr. Tracy, but it presents a few problems. Okay, Brains, I'll be right with you. Will it interrupt lunch? Oh, Scott's in here as well, helping out with the science stuff for once. This uh, must be serious. Yeah, go steady, Tintin. Yeah, okay, she knows. But we still have to have suspenseful music, just in case she messes it up. Pouring one beaker into another. Okay, Brains, let's have it. Can we have the original, uh, Tintin? Coming up. Again, there's a sound effect that would appear very 
very frequently, I think, in uh, in later shows, there's a lot of radio interference noise. That uh, sound effect is often played. Proximity of a high-density liquid fuel... And this is nice. ...low-density substance known as OD60 produces high-impedance waves... Brain's actually doing science things. ...which can interrupt and cut off radio communication on our bandwidth for a given distance. Yes, he's bringing the two uh, test tubes closer together in his little test chamber. OD60 and Alsterine. Uh, Mr. Tracy. Somehow he's managed to work all this out. No, sir. It sure isn't. Yeah, thank you, Scott. <laughs> Scott supplying the uh, redundancy factor in this uh, scientific experiment, just repeating what uh, the last person said. Closer. Proximity. Lots of steam and smoke in the test chamber now as he brings them closer together. Okay, Brains, what does it all add up to? It adds up to a very... He's, he's wonderful, his old Brains, isn't he? Because he's, all he's got is a radio recording of some interference. Alsterine. And somehow... Alsterine, you say? Somehow he's put it all together. OD60 and Alsterine. That's the sound caused by bringing them together. Used to make dog food of all things. Uh, Which kind of reinforces the idea that Thunderbirds 1 and 2 kind of had to be flying over the Working on place where the fog cloud is forming, as we're, we're about to discover why this is happening. Miles from the Gulf Stream and miles from the nearest landfall. This OD-60, is it only found in the Gulf Stream area? I believe so, Mr. Tracy. Oh, Lady Penelope could soon tell us. Penny? How would she know? Wasn't she on the panel to judge the All Pets Poodle Competition? Poodle Competition? I love that. It sounds like, momentarily, Tintin's gone completely insane. From the sea. Dog food time. Oh, 60, of course. Ah. Then get on to Penny right away. I want to know each location of OD60 and whether any has been found in or near the Mediterranean. Hmm. And tell her to make it fast. I've got a hunch. A hunch, Father? Yes, Scott? A hunch. She's probably still nursing Parker's hangover at this point. Great pile of OD-60. But it's more than a hunch that sailing out from here, there's 200,000 tons of Elsterine in Ocean Pioneer 2. Well, this is another of these, um, well, a pair of uh, magnificent advances, technological achievements in the Thunderbirds universe that are going to prove rather, well, difficult when they start interacting with each other. I like the explanation of what the uh, fog cloud at the beginning was there. And again, more glory shots. Probably the same glory shots, in fact, that we saw earlier of this great big ship. Seventy-five miles from the coast, Captain. Excellent. It does make me a, sort of pine for the old days of uh, of Stingray a bit here. I do like when uh, Thunderbirds does callbacks to... The old seafaring days of Stingray. Our chart position is... Especially with the, the reused music. Zero. Proceeding at 60 knots. Over. Good progress, Pioneer 2. Drolly is spiffing. Reception committee with... Ah, yes. Reception committee with champagne, probably. Boys, Jensen. Ah. <laughs> that wah-wah music was for um, the All Pets... Sir Arthur. Uh, ...dog food company sign, because I guess... Dogs are a subject for wah wah. 
I don't know. In the chapter on feeding, I feel that my readers will want to so know... Penny has gone to interview Sir... Did she say Sir Charles? I wasn't really... You can rely on your discretion. I wasn't really able to hear the programme over my own voice. But I do like the layout of this office of his. I like that someone has had to go to the trouble of cutting out lots of pictures and paintings of dogs for this guy's wall. Um, they look like they've come from the old sort of uh, ladybird books and similar. Around the coast of Florida... We find the main sources of OD60. The the main sources, Sir Arthur? And it was lucky, of course, that uh, this dog food company is in the UK. Don't know yet. Presumably. I mean, this this sounds like a British accent that Peter Dinley is, is doing here. The distance that we have to transport OD60, I tell you, the capital costs are crippling to my company. Now... What we have done is to dump 150,000 tonnes of active OD-60 in the Mediterranean in the hope that... Just to see what would happen. ...raw material for all pets. Then there is OD-60 in the Mediterranean? No, we don't know for sure yet. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, what a... I love it. They've just taken it upon themselves to do something potentially... Well, they don't know that it's dangerous, but it's quite a drastic move to take because they can't be bothered to go all that way to uh, to the um, uh, east coast of America to pick it up. Successful, lady. Dumping it in the Mediterranean instead without telling anybody. Our worst suspicions. There really is OD-60 in the Mediterranean. I must radio Jeff at once to warn him. Ocean Pioneer 2 is heading straight for trouble. Oh, dear. Presumably, other ships would be heading through the uh, the Mediterranean and might have spotted this huge, sinister fog cloud that um, is... I mean, it seems to take up a fairly large chunk of the ocean's surface, but, I don't know, maybe it's only just happened. More reused Stingray music here. Again, this fog cloud looks very sinister, rolling in. Oh, yeah, we've got this wonderful blue sky, and then just the fog. All mysterious. It's lovely. Ocean Pioneer 2 from International Rescue. Yeah, it's spreading to the lower frequencies now. So presumably the whole world must be suffering communication problems. I guess? I don't know. Just a long shot. Well, I guess it's no use waiting for them to send out a distress call. Because they just aren't going to be able to make one. Well, what are we hmm. standing around for, then? Come on. Let's go. Yay. Pioneer 2 to Port of London, Pioneer Base. Come in, Pioneer Base. So the Ocean Pioneer crew are still struggling to contact base. And we're just not getting... And uh, I... This is an episode where when most Thunderbirds fans think of this one, what's notable about this episode is the fact that John goes out on a rescue. Thunderbirds 1 and 2 have been launched to rescue Ocean Pioneer 2. And I kind of remembered this being like, wow, this is John's, uh, I believe TV Tropes calls it a, a Day in the Limelight episode, where a minor character, and sadly John often is a minor character in this show, despite the fact that he shouldn't be. 3-9, sir. Rising. I remembered him being like the star of this thing. This was a John episode. It's surprising, actually, that we're coming up on 35 minutes, and... You know, he hasn't reappeared since he returned to Earth with brains. It's very nice that he's on the rescue, but it does. Uh, it, it's perhaps not all it could be on the John front, unfortunately. It's no good, number two. The reactor's gone too far. I know there are some hardcore John fans out there, and quite right too, because he did deserve more time on screen than he got. Nine, eight. Certainly more, more involvement with rescues than he gets. 
you know, just this deteriorating one episode. Now, the Ocean Pioneer 2 is, uh, well, the engines are sort of breaking and such. And the captain's not happy about the weather, so the second officer has decided to close the windows. Because he doesn't want to have to listen to the old man moaning about that stuff. Uh, yeah, I like as well that we don't really know what this Alsterine stuff is, unless I've waffled over it. I presume it's some kind of fuel. The most highly volatile and explosive fuel probably ever conceived by mankind. But I love that it's described as, um, you know, nature's latest gift to mankind. And um, they've just packed as much of it as they can onto a ship with a nuclear reactor. But it's a nice, nice haunting imagery, again with this fog cloud and just this ship heading deeper into it, sounding an alarm siren to nobody, essentially. Nobody's anywhere near them. Nobody's going to hear them. Maybe he thinks he's going to run into somebody coming the other way, but, uh... Yes. It, it becomes very... Steering on radar course. A very doom-laden atmosphere towards the end with this this cloud. It's great, great stuff. Five. The engines won't stand it. They won't stand it. These engines are beginning to show signs of stress. Oh, no, they're wobbling. The engines are wobbling and smoking. Oh... That's, that's some more good uh, model effects stuff there. I like when uh, engines in this show start start doing that. Whoa, and they just blowed up. No more air conditioning for anybody. So, for some reason, the uh, Ocean Pioneer 2 has lasted a bit longer than Ocean Pioneer 1, as they've uh, now, they're completely without power. But they're still, yeah, still with us. They haven't exploded yet. But they're running out of air. <laughs> and everyone on the bridge, I know they're sort of suffering from oxygen loss, but they do look like they're just kind of fed up. Call International Rescue. It's our last chance. We can't last long without air. Hmm. That's why he's the captain. But speaking of people who should have had more to do in these shows, I really like John Tate's uh, voice work on this show. And I think he only did, like, is it six episodes? Maybe eight? Uh, and never credited. Uh, John Tate, of course, being the father of Nick Tate, a.k.a. Alan Crasham Smasham Carter. But here we go. Thunderbirds are nearly there. Virgil, I found her. She's drifting off course toward the danger zone. I'm going to try to land on the deck. I love that. I love Shane Rimmer's delivery of that line. I know he has to sort of over-enunciate it to make himself heard, but it's that, try to land on the deck. It's just such a cool Shane Rimmer-sounding line. Uh, Scott and uh, John are already in there. I'm not sure what these costumes are, just kind of they're going outside into uh, dangerous mist costumes. Well, I should say uniforms. They don't wear costumes, do they? Um, and luckily, of course, there's a a landing platform just behind the bridge on the Ocean Pioneer. So he doesn't have to run all the way along the length of the ship because that looks like a well, probably take him about a mile to get there. S fly failed. Over. Well, lucky for them, Scott's already on the scene. Yeah, this is uh, the same fire suit from uh, City of Fire, I believe. Um, it's a blue variation of the one that was also in uh, Pit of Peril. Oh, Virgil's not far off. I don't think they ever explain actually what this mist 
is I get the impression that they're assuming it's some kind of poisonous gas. Terrifying, isn't it? Which is probably a, a safe assumption. This is international rescue. If you can hear me, speak in the direction of the lower port bulkhead. No, he's not going to get a reply. They've all passed out. Thunderbird 2 calling Ocean Pioneer. Come in, Scott. I do like, as, as well, going back to the whole thing of this being John's only on-screen rescue, I like the fact that they don't actually make too big a deal of that. It does give the impression that he got more to do off-screen, and, you know, he says that later on. This isn't the first rescue he's been out on. In Thunderbird 2. So, it, it, for his, from his point of view, this would just be another day at the office. This is uh, the kind of thing that can happen when you're at home on Tracy Island and not stuck up in the space station. I also wonder, um, I can't remember off the top of my head who wrote this, I'm sure the credits will tell me, um, what the... Okay, John, on your way. Light patrol, keep her steady. Here I go, I'm off on my mission. Yeah, I I'm also interested to learn what the sort of... the idea of putting John into a rescue, where that came from. Um, I would have to assume that well, we know, legend has it, I should say, that one of the reasons John doesn't get much focus is because Jerry didn't like the puppet of the voice or both and insisted he'd be stuck up on the space station. I certainly think there's probably an element of truth in that and the fact that they also just wanted to associate one brother with each craft. We have five brothers, we have five craft, but... As as John hits the deck, stand well clear till I send for you. I do wonder if, you know, this is... We're three or four episodes away from the end of the first series. I just wonder if this episode sort of was snuck in when Jerry wasn't looking. I would love to know if if someone actually said, no, we really should give this guy at least one rescue. And Jerry reluctantly went, oh, okay. Or if he was you know, busy with other things at this point. Who knows? It's one of those things that would be lost to time by now, I should think. But... Uh, John is now on the deck to assist Scott. Thunderbird 2 looks very nice in the fog. Pulling away from the Ocean Pioneer. I would like an Ocean Pioneer model, I think. How's it coming, Scott? I'm nearly there, John. Yes, another slow cutting through the door sequence that uh, Thunderbirds in particular was quite fond of. But I suppose there had to be lots of uh, people trapped behind sealed doors. And, of course, they never pull it towards them, do they? They always push it inside. To potentially squash anybody who's collapsed on the other side of the door. I think I remember in City of Fire, the father actually collapses in front of the door. And were it not for the fact that he was woken up by the door being cut, he probably would have been squashed when they broke in. Just look. Oh, oh I like that. The, the ocean is, is bubbling and boiling. Oh. Well, this can only mean one thing. We must be right over the OD-60 now. Wow. This is a, an episode as well where I think... You know, very seldom do we actually get the fallout from any disasters. We might not be around when you get here. I'm on my way. I would love to have seen something of the inquiry that went on after the Ocean Pioneer affair. Can you hear me? Call. In particular, you know, seeing that dog food guy uh, in court. Oh, no, uh, uh, we, we, dumped, we, we don't know. 
It's just, you know, a lot of the times, okay, vehicle, here's a new vehicle, went out of control, bang, okay, that's the end of that. But there are some Thunderbirds episodes where I really want to see what happened after the rescue. I want to almost want to have like a, a Thunderbirds world-based lore show that deals with the fallout from all the stuff that happens. Because nobody really seems to care. And in particular, I would just... You know, there's a huge section of the ocean that's covered with this explosive... Well, not explosive gas, but it potentially explosive if it gets into your ship gas. It's what? And I have the captain as well. Though. My ship is about to blow up? How dare it? But that's interesting. The crew are standing outside on the deck with no breathing gear. So... They could have just opened the window and they wouldn't have suffocated. It probably wouldn't have done their lungs much good, but hey-ho. Pull away, and you make it snappy. F.A.B. Scott. Yep. Uh, the Ocean Pioneer crew presumably have climbed up the rope ladder into Thunderbird 2. But we don't see that. Now John's going up as well. That just leaves Scott to get back to Thunderbird 1. Oh. And a good old Ocean Pioneer has waited until her crew was gone before it started exploding. And as is nautical tradition, when the ship goes down, the last man off is Scott. Um, the captain. This this captain isn't interested in going down with his ship. He's got better things to do. Oh, and I love that this this feels like such a big model. So when it finally blows up, it blows up in sections. Uh, it's lovely. And then just we cut to that long shot just of nothing in the fog, and then that boom. And here's an interesting shot coming up. It always makes me smile, considering that John went down in full protective gear with protective face mask. Sign of him anywhere. His face is covered in dirt. <laughs> I just and his hair's must. I just get the impression that he took off his helmet and was like, "Oh, I've got to, I've got to give the impression that I was really working hard on this rescue. I better rub some dirt onto my face." Because you know, as I said, he's he's wearing a protective mask. Please, oh, do you dear. read me? Loud and Clear, right? He made it. Okay, let's get out of it. See you back at the base. And needless to say, Scott does not have a hair out of place, nor any dirt on his face. Because his job is secure, unlike John, who can be uh, dispatched back to the space station at a moment's notice. Stands for a heck of a lot of capital investment, Scott, and we should have tried towing her out. Sure. Oh, sure, boy. But we didn't bring Thunderbird 4. We've made it in time. Who knows? That's all part of the game, isn't it? Oh. And this is a lovely ending, but that's an interesting character bit in John's uh, John's thinking there. Well, I, I guess about a dozen, Father. He's, he's, he's almost a bit mercenary, though. He's thinking of the money, and he's also thinking of it as a game. Well, we weren't arguing, sir. No, we were... But this is one of the greatest moments in the whole series. For many years now, man has worked to perfect the material things in this world, and he's done pretty well for himself. If a building falls down, he can soon build it up again. With life, it's different. And this is why the object of international rescue will never change. Your job is to save lives that are in danger. And that's how it's going to be. Always. Got it? It's a wonderful summation of both the show's uh, you know, essential premise and of that character of Jeff's philosophy and morality. And there we go. That's the end of Danger at Ocean Deep. But I, I also I make no no apologies for I, th I think I have used that clip 
in multiple videos. Um, I mean, not just on the uh, Jerry Anderson channel. I've used that clip many times over the years, and it's just perfect. You know, that is the whole show in a microcosm, just those few lines. So that almost, it, it kind of almost makes sitting through that episode worthwhile just for that line. Um, I've got to say, despite the, the John interest factor, this has never been one of my absolute favourites or even... Oh, teleplay, uh, teleplay by Donald Robertson. Okay. Um, this has never been sort of even in my, my top half rankings of the series. This kind of sits, I guess, kind of squarely in the middle, really. It's... A nice premise. It's uh, some interesting plotting with the radio stuff and also with the dog food. What's going to blow up this highly technical piece of machinery this week? Dog food. Okay. Um, it's it's um, unfortunately let down by some long sequences of, of padding in the fog, which is nice and atmospheric. Also some long Thunderbirds launch sequences. So unfortunately, this isn't one of my favourites. It's still good. And uh, it's always nice to see John get down from the space station, really. Wish you could have done that some more, frankly.